think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Along the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you are the Charlie Browniest. Can you identify with Linus? I mean, have you ever wondered as you watch that classic from 1965, Charlie Brown, what is your deal, man? Come on. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and you feel a little bit more like Charlie. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to be happy right now. It's the most wonderful time. Oh, right. You know, I mean, that's just, you're just, that's where you are today. You came in and you're like, I know I'm supposed to be happy. I just... I just don't seem to have much holiday spirit this Christmas. There's something about Charlie that engages us. This, this young man who, in the face of all reasons that he should have joy, is kind of depressive and morose and, and quiet. I mean, it forces us to ask the question, how can we have real, true joy at Christmas? I mean, how can we sing songs like Joy to the World and really experience it, really mean it, really uh, deep down in our heart know, ah, yes, that's how I feel today? Well, believe it or not, Joy to the World is basically an instruction manual on how to have joy at Christmas. We've been in a sermon series called A Christmas Carol over the last several weeks, and we've looked at these beloved songs that we sing during this season and what they can teach us, how they can help us celebrate Christmas. Today we're looking at the classic Christmas carol, Joy to the World. The song was first published in 1719. Next year, next Christmas, this song will be 300 years old. Written by a man named Isaac Watts. He wrote many of the other hymns that we sing regularly. It was part of Watts' collection of songs that were Christian adaptations of the Psalms. Watts wrote the lyrics. Uh, we no longer have the tune to which it was originally sung. What you see on the screen is the modern tune that we have. What they sang in 1719, we, we don't know. Because in 1839, uh, Lowell Mason took a, a tune from Handel's Messiah, adapted Watts' lyrics to fit it, and that's the song we know today as Joy to the World. Isaac Watts was captivated by the powerful and passionate joy that a relationship with Jesus produces. Now, I've been using this word joy, and I want to make sure you're understanding it the way I'm using it. Because joy is something that's way bigger than your circumstances, Joy is not equal to happiness. <laughs> Paul and Silas had joy in stocks after they'd been beaten in the jail in Philippi. Backs were all ripped up, leaned against a dirty, wet stone wall, <laughs> and they're singing. I doubt they felt happy. 
Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstances and your, your emotions at the time. Let me give you, I think, what I think is a biblical definition of joy. Biblically speaking, joy is both the anticipation and experience of salvation, expressed by inward emotion and outward celebration. Joy unites the whole person. Joy brings your emotions and your body and your mind and your heart all together in this overflow of what it means to experience and enjoy the salvation that we have in Jesus. Biblically speaking, that's what joy is. And it's way bigger than someone handing you a candy cane at the mall. Yay! Is that where you're at this morning? Do you feel this way? I hope so. I hope you came in and you felt that way this morning. But if not, I sure don't want you to leave without it. We want to help you find it today. So thank you for being here. If it's your first Sunday here at Chapel Rock, or if you've just been coming for a couple weeks and we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love to meet you personally, and thank you for being here. When we're done, I'll be down front. Please come say hi. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in. We appreciate those of you who do that. Take a second, fill out your online connection card. Let us know uh, how many are watching there with you. If you haven't done that here with your tear-off one on your bulletin, please do that. Just leave it in the seat next to you, and our ushers will collect that when our service is is over. Um, Here's what I want you to get today. Here's the big idea this morning. When we understand and experience who Jesus is, we'll have real joy. When you really understand and experience who Jesus is, you will have joy. And no circumstance, no diagnosis from the doctor, no pink slip from the boss, nothing can take that away. Real Christian joy cannot be stolen from you. You might have a bad day. You might have circumstances that come along and, and, and just mess up your life. But no thing, nothing on earth can take your joy if you're in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think this Christmas carol, Joy to the World, is basically an instruction manual on how to have joy. You ready? There are four verses that we're going to look at today, and these four verses give us kind of four steps or four reasons to have joy. Here's the first one. Number one, we should have joy. We can have joy because Jesus is the king of our heart. We can have joy because Jesus is the king of our heart. Now, I said before that joy is the anticipation and experience of salvation, okay? Real Christian joy is the result of of experiencing and, and looking forward to God's salvation in Jesus, that's what Isaac Watts, I think, wanted us to sing about in this song, Joy to the World. Here's, look at the first verse with me. Now, like we did a couple weeks ago, um, you, you just see these are, these are just bathed in Scripture. This is an adaptation of the Psalms, and so, so there are some references here to the Psalms. So there'll be some of the Scripture references off to the side. We'll post these on Facebook later uh, this week, so if you don't get them all, um, you, you'll be able to, to track back with us that way. So, joy to the world, the Lord has come, all right? Now, this Luke 144, that's the passage printed in your bulletin. That's kind of our starting point today. That's the verse where Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, comes to meet Mary. And when, when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, look at this, in Luke 144 with me, look at this. It says, Elizabeth says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby, that's John the Baptist, in my womb, leapt for joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Even John the Baptist, before he's even born, has joy in meeting Jesus. These guys that are probably about six months apart, first cousins, you know. 
So joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Again, picking up that kingship theme from Matthew. And also that John 18 is, you know, Jesus coming to Jerusalem as king. Let every heart prepare him room. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's making room in your life for Jesus. And you realize when he moves in, all the other stuff's got to go. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. You get this image from 1 Peter and Isaiah and Revelation and Psalm of all of creation crying out in praise to God. In this first verse, the emphasis is on Jesus as the king of our heart. He's the ruler, the Lord of our inmost person. And so if Jesus is the king of your heart, then your heart belongs to him. John says that he came to that which was his own. We belong to him. The very breath in your lungs is on loan from him. Remember? The Lord breathed into Adam and he became a living being. Your breath is on loan from God. We belong to him. He's got a claim on our hearts, and yet we are so often a usurper of that throne in our heart. We try to kick God off the throne and rule there in his rightful place, and I believe that steals our joy. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling to have joy, Christmas or not, I would ask you to do a little looking in the mirror. Is Jesus really sitting on the throne in your heart? Is he really ruling there? This song tells us that he's the king of our heart. And when Jesus is the king of your heart, no matter what your life is doing, (laughs) you can have joy. The problem is we allow his place to be crowded out. Sometimes with selfishness and materialism, my arm's not long enough for my children's Christmas list. (laughs) The little boys especially. It's like every, every day, new stuff gets stuck on the list. Like we are done shopping. Um... But it gets crowded out with selfishness and materialism. Sometimes this gets crowded out with sinful desires and attitudes that we entertain for far too long. Sometimes with wanting to live under law instead of grace. It's not the way God intends for us to live. That's not the way we will live when Jesus really is the king of our heart. Living without God in his rightful place as king of your heart will steal your joy. And so when we're consumed with selfishness and materialism, when we're dominated by sinful desires and attitudes, when we're overborne by a twisted form of legalism, we miss out on the real joy that God intends for us to have. Franz Joseph Hayden, the great musician, was once asked why his church music was so cheerful in an era when most of it was pretty somber, and he said this, when I think upon God, my heart is so full of joy that the notes dance and leap, as it were, from my pen. And since God has given me a cheerful heart, it will be pardoned me that I serve him with a cheerful spirit. So look into your heart. Is Jesus king? Do you have joy because Jesus is king? Or do you have joy because of what's under the tree? Because you'll open up the stuff under the tree, you'll throw away the box, eventually it'll break, and then what happens to your joy? But if Jesus is the king of your heart, nothing can take that away. Nothing can steal your joy in that moment. Does Jesus rule in your heart? If if you're here today and he doesn't, just hang with me for a little while. Because in a little while, I'm going to tell you how to take that step. How to make Jesus the king of your heart. We'll talk about that. 
But that's not the only reason that we can have joy. It's not, it, it's, that's the first step is in this instruction manual is to make Jesus the king of your heart. Here's step two, to make him to realize he's the savior of all creation. The second reason that we have joy is that Jesus is the savior of all creation. And that's what Isaac Watts is talking about in the second verse of Joy to the World. Look at it with me. Joy to the earth. The savior reigns. Again, it's just picking up on some of the themes from Luke. Let men their songs employ. He kind of fast forwards there to, to singing. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Now let's talk about what this means. Christmas is supposed to be global, isn't it? Part of the emphasis in the story of the wise men is that you have these people from far away coming to recognize who Jesus is. Now, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that happened later. <laughs> a couple years went by before they showed up. The star appeared at the time of his birth. It took them a while to make the journey. But you've got these people from far away, this global emphasis coming in to do this. There are places all over the world that celebrate Christmas, though they don't really understand Jesus for who he is. At least not as he's revealed biblically. But cultures that are not predominantly Christian still have this. There's this thing. and I think it is what Paul talks about in Romans when he says that there's this, this place in our heart that longs for God. And there's this, there's this something in people's heads where they go, this needs to be filled with something divine. And they long for that. See, Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. I mean, he did come for them. And he made it pretty clear that that was his primary mission. But it went way beyond that. In fact, he even said in John 10, 16, I want to show you this. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. This is the passage where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I must bring them also. They, will, they too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you know what this is? Do you know what this is? Jesus is talking about you. Jesus is actually talking about you in John 10, 16. Because I looked as you guys were coming in, I didn't see any of you guys with yarmulkes on. I don't see any gals with their heads covered. So I'm assuming none of you are Jewish. If you are, welcome. We're glad you're here. Jesus is talking about you. He, he mentioned you. You are the sheep of the other pen. And you get to come in. At Christmas, you get to, this is for everybody. It's this global appeal. That's what Isaac Watts is talking about when he says joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. It's about the global lordship and salvation of Jesus. And so when the song says, let men their songs employ, the word employ, as Watts would have used it in the first half of the 1700s, meant to put it into action, to keep busy with something. And here's his point. We are supposed to be so full of praise for the saving act of Jesus that all creation reverberates with the sound of our praise. That's a triumphal entry, remember? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, riding on a colt. <laughs> the disciples are putting down palm branches in their coats to, to pay, smooth the way for the colt. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, come to Jesus and they say, you tell these guys to be quiet. They're going to bring the Romans down on us. 
What's Jesus said? If they're quiet, even the stones will cry out. That's what this means. That all creation should reverberate. It should echo with the sound of our praise. You see, what Isaac Watts is talking about here is that creation is so loud in its praise of God that it should echo throughout the land. To repeat the sounding joy. The word sounding there, and again, first, century, first 18, 18th century language, first half of that century, is it's echoing. The sounding joy, it's echoing. It's not just that we can hear it. It's that it over and over and over again, it echoes. This is a little bit like what happened on October 14th, 2013 at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. All right? The, the, those crazy Kansas City Chiefs fans set a Guinness World Record for the loudest fans of any sport ever. <laughs> Get this. When, when, at, okay, listen. I'm not a huge sports fan, but even I know that the Chiefs and the Raiders hate each other, right? I mean, even I know that, all right? And, and of course, that was my team growing up three hours south of Kansas City. They were the home team. So uh, when the Chiefs beat the Raiders, uh, those crazy fans generated a sound that day that was measured at 137 and a half decibels. For reference, a 747 jet engine spooling up at 100 feet away is 140 decibels. They were two and a half shy of a 747 jet engine 100 feet away. That's how loud it was. In fact, um, the noise physically shook Arrowhead Stadium's press box. It was vibrating. The Chiefs coach, Andy Reid, said he could feel the field shaking that day. Church, our joy over Jesus' entry into the world and to, as our Savior should shake the earth. It should rattle the cages of those in bondage to sin and shatter the chains of those held captive by death. It should crack and destroy the foundations of every hollow and deceptive philosophy that sets itself up against the kingdom of God. Christian, your joy should be so loud it echoes. <laughs> and so I have to ask you, what is the echo of your life? When people talk about you at Christmas celebrations in years after you've gone home to be with the Lord, and I pray that that's what happens to you, what will they say? At the Christmas table, when you're gone... What will the echo of your life be? You are not too young to think about that. You should be thinking about that. What is the echo of your life? That, that, will people say that you are a true follower of Jesus, more concerned with his presence in your heart than the presence under the tree? Will they remember someone whose action for Jesus rippled out and affected everyone around them? What will your life echo? We're supposed to echo Jesus, church. Our words and actions to have the whole community become whole in Christ, give praise and glory and love, they should echo in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, across the nation and around the world. And that's what joy looks like. But there's even another reason for joy. It's step three. Jesus removes the curse. The third reason we can have joy is that he removes the curse. Jesus' entry into the world at Christmas signaled the, 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 
the first stage of the end of God's decisive action to remove the curse we've been under since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. We've been under a curse this whole time. And that's what Isaac Watts is getting at in verse 3 of this song. Look at this. He says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. This reference to Genesis 3.18 is part of the curse. When God is doling out this curse on humanity for their sin, he says that by the sweat of your brow, Adam, you will harvest fruit from the earth. And what, before, the, before the fall, the earth just, he didn't, like farming was just picking, right? You just walk by and just take it because it's just there. Now you got to work for it, Adam. That's what this is. That's part of the curse. And then he goes on. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Again, that reference to Genesis 3. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. And ultimately, you get this image in Revelation 22 of it finally being reversed. (laughs) The tree of life with the leaves that are for the healing of the nations. This is a direct reversal of the tragedy of the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are under a curse. And that curse is threefold. First of all, there's a broken creation. That, that's why we suffer. That's why we get sick. I hear some of you coughing. That's the curse. You're like, I'm feeling it, man. <laughs> we, we suffer from broken relationships. That's why we argue. Some of you are not looking forward to Tuesday. Like, ah, oh, I gotta be with Uncle Bob. Guy drives me nuts. We suffer from broken humanity. That's why we sin. That's why we die. Listen, that is not God's desire for you. It's not God's design for your life. He sent Jesus to remove the curse, and that is a source of joy. See, the reason we have joy at Christmas is because we know that a full manger plus a blood-stained cross plus an empty tomb means that the curse has been broken. It's broken. It's done. He dealt with it. And we inherited part of that curse from Adam. And we curse ourselves when we rebel against God in our sin. But the good news is there's nowhere in all of creation that Jesus does not want to redeem And remove the curse of sin and death. There's no area of your life that Jesus is not willing and able to purify and make you right with God. There's no area of your life that Jesus is apathetic or powerless to bring your life into conformity to the glory of Christ. He can do that because he's the savior of all creation. He's the king of your heart. Listen, the mission of Jesus is to put put right what went wrong in the garden. He reverses the curse that is on us when he took it on himself. Deuteronomy 21 says, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And so when Jesus was hanging on the cross in your place for your sin, all of the curse for all time poured out on him. You deserved it. And he took it for you because he loves you. And if that doesn't give you joy, you are not paying attention. Because of that, Christmas is a time of joy. Jesus removes the curse. 
We have joy for the same reason at Christmas that, that, that Mary and Elizabeth had joy. <laughs> that, the, that John the Baptist, before he was even born, leapt in Elizabeth's womb. We have joy for the same reason that Simeon and Anna had joy. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. When they saw the infant Jesus in the temple courts when he was a week old. Because God has acted decisively in history to break the curse we were under because of our brokenness. And these people saw that and they rejoiced. See, on the cross, Jesus took the curse that we were under and he took it on himself. And he crucified it. And to make sure it could never come back, he rose from the dead. And that's a reason for joy. There's one more. One more reason, one more step in this process of this instruction manual of how to have joy number four. He rules in love forever. There's one more source of joy that Isaac Watts talks about in this wonderful Christmas carol. I think it's the most interesting verse in the song because it, it seems to be bigger than Christmas. <laughs> I think he pulls the camera lens way back. Look at this with me. He rules the world with truth and grace, again, a reference to John 1.14, kind of John's Christmas story, a part of it at least. He makes the nations prove, we're going to come back to that, that's a really interesting statement. The glories of his righteousness, our world seems to revel in glorying in sin, and God says, no, it's really the other way around. Righteousness is, is, is glorious. He says that it makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And the wonders of his love and the wonders, wonders of his love. First John 4 says, God loves you so much. That ought to blow your mind every day when your feet hit the floor. Wow. Wow. Does God ever love me? I woke up today saved, sanctified, and on my way to heaven. See, this is not just about Christmas. This is also about the return of Christ. Isaac Watts brilliantly ties together this theme from John's uh, Christmas narrative at the beginning of his uh, gospel with Jesus', Jesus final authority and victory over the world. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, the only begotten Son of God, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, when Jesus returns and we all go to glory with him and the faithful saints who have gone before us, then we will live in grace and truth forever. We will live the kind of love that God wants us to have for all the rest of eternity. But here's the thing. The culture of heaven will not be monolithic. Look at what Watts says. He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. See, when John talks about heaven, the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21, 26, he says that the honor and glory of the nations will be brought into that. Think about that. The best thing from every culture that has ever had people in it surrender their lives to Jesus will be present in heaven. Does that not blow your mind? How amazing is that going to be? People from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, every, the, heaven is going to be diverse, y'all. Better get ready, get used to it. And the best thing from every culture, can, can you imagine the music? This was just a tiny little taste of heaven. 
the food is going to rock. <laughs> like the buffet in heaven. Oh my goodness. Anything you've ever possibly wanted. And it doesn't matter if you don't like something because the other thing is there. You know, I don't like Italian. Doesn't matter. I don't like Mc. Doesn't matter. I don't like barbecue. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it reminds me of a, of a t-shirt I saw recently. It says this, heaven is where the police are British, the chef's Italian, the mechanic's German, the lover's French, and it's all organized by the Swiss. Hell is where the police are German, the chefs are British, the mechanic's French, the lover's Swiss, and it's all organized by the Italians. <laughs> now, the real reason that makes me laugh is my family's from Scotland. Um, so, I, love, I don't know about that, but aren't you eager for heaven? Because there's a little taste of heaven in Christmas gives you that same joy. Christmas confronts us with this reality because the baby in the manger didn't stay there. The angel says in Luke 2.11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Even in the angelic announcement, there's this acknowledgement of the redemptive mission of Jesus. There's the acknowledgement that he is the Lord and he has come to save us. And so my question for you today is this, have you made him your Lord? Is he the king of your heart? Has he saved you? Earlier I asked you if Jesus was the king of your heart. If you don't know, here's how to do that. First of all, you need to admit that you are under the curse of sin. Nothing's going to change for you until you acknowledge that. You have to recognize your need for his salvation. Secondly, you have to confess your need for him to him, and preferably somebody else, like all of us here this morning in a little bit after we sing. <laughs> Third, you need to pray and ask God to forgive your sin in the name of Jesus. Just, just talk to him. He's ready. He's listening. He wants to hear from you. If you've never done that, to say, God, will you take away my sin and make me right with you because of Jesus? And he will do it. Fourth, be baptized. The New Testament's really clear about this. <laughs> Receive the Holy Spirit of God to live in you. And fifth, continue to lay down more and more of your life to Jesus every day. Every day, you surrender more of your life to him. He more and more becomes the king of your heart. If you've never done that today, in just a little bit, you're going to have a chance. After we, as we sing, you, I invite you to come forward. And, and if you've never made Jesus the king of your heart, do it today. Charlie's just not feeling it this year. He's not as joyful as he should be, at least as he thinks he should be. And maybe you've seen the Christmas special and you remember this scene. If you've seen the special, you know there's this moment of redemption, isn't there? Linus takes his ever-present blanket and fashions it into a Middle Eastern-style headdress and, and he recites this passage and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
And when he says that, the whole Peanuts gang gets the Spirit. They take that pitiful little tree that Charlie Brown picked out and they redeem it and they transform it. And finally, finally, Charlie Brown gets the Spirit. He gets it. You see him there as he stands up and he contemplates what Christmas really means, having heard Linus speak that message of redemption. And then you see the smile on his face. Then he's got joy. Listen, when you understand and you experience who Jesus is, then you can have real joy. And we still do this week after week. We gather around a tree, the symbol of our redemption. And our experience of a full manger and a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb is what gives us real joy. Did you get the message today? When we understand and experience who Jesus is, we will have real joy. And I pray that you've done that today. If you've not, then you have an opportunity right now. If you've never made Jesus the king of your heart, if you don't know the kind of joy we've been talking about for the last half hour, then as we stand and sing together, I would invite you to come down front. We'll have people ready to receive you. And you can have that joy. You can know that joy before you even leave today. I don't know about you, but my heart is aching to do the very thing we've been talking about this whole time. Let's stand and sing about this joy together.